Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, listen. Life has a lot of moments of doubts. Has a lot of seasons of unbelief. We, the Christian, sort of goes through this. And regardless of how certain your convictions or how focused your faith or how resolved you are in your resolutions, we can all, at times, have moments of doubts, uncertainty, and, and struggle with believing. We all get that way. And there really isn't anything that can prepare us or actually screen us from those moments when we're suspended from that narrow place of it's going to be all right. And I'm not sure how this thing's going to turn out. You see, doubt may not be the permanent place that you live. But if you're honest, it's a place where (laughs) we have visited. And... If you've not taken a trip to visit doubt, unbelief, I'm sure it's visited you. And it seems like this guest called doubt or unbelief, guys, it knows our address. Even if we move and we leave without leaving a forwarding address, it still finds us. And there are times in our lives, guys, where we, what, well, where we doubt or we have unbelief. I mean, I think of, I think of Job in the Bible. The Bible says that he was perfect and upright man. You guys know Job, right? This is a man that disdained evil, and Job reached a point in his place during his trials and troubles that led him to say this, where is he, where is God? If I can find him, then I could please my cause to him. Job speaks as if God is lost and God is not near him. Think about this, Old Testament fella. Doubt gripped Abraham. Do you remember that for a moment in his life? Where he did not... Or could not wait on God's perfect plan. So what did he do? He joined the plan of the flesh and fear and frustration. And it resulted in inheritance that was not God. We know him today as Ishmael. That was not God's plan. And yet fear and doubt gripped Abraham. So yes, church, listen. Life has its moments of doubts and seasons of unbelief. And that's why I'm calling this message, if you're taking note, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You go, why, pastor? Well, for day we discover a fellow by the name of Nicodemus, and he comes to Jesus at night to inquire of who Jesus really is. I think that's something that you and I did before coming to Christ. Who is Jesus? I mean, I heard of Jesus, and Nick is the same way, and he comes to Jesus by night, and I guess we could call him Nick at night, right? That's what a lot of people say. Now, what I want you to see about Nick is that he comes to Jesus with, with a level of belief. Some might look at Nick's life and say it's a, it's a level of curiosity. Who is this Jesus? Others might say it's a level of belief of circumstances. He saw some things, he heard some stuff going on. But Jesus, guys, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, he goes straight to the point and he teaches Nicodemus that belief is more than curiosity or circumstances. But belief comes from being born from above. Now, church, listen, a lot of us can relate to, to, to Brother Nick here, right? We, we, we can relate to him, right? A lot of, I mean, we, we have some level of belief in God as to say, Lord, I believe. But I think at times, if we're honest, we often hang out at the unbelieving part. 
sort of hang out there. When it comes to unbelief, and I read a story that kind of sums up what a lot of people feel. It was a woman who lived in a small town at the foot of a tall mountain. The mountain obstructed her view and made the inside of her house very dark. She had read Jesus' promise about faith-moving mountains, taking it literally one night she prayed that the Lord would remove the mountain. The next morning, the mountain was still there. Humph, she said, just as I expected. She didn't believe. And of course, you know, you know the prayer. That's how a lot of us pray. Lord, I know you can do this. And inside our hearts, we're kind of going, eh, just as I expected. Just as I expected. Church, listen, if most people are honest, they would have to admit that when they pray, they don't really expect an answer. The same would be true in believing God's promises. They might say, quote, I believe God's promises, but they really don't expect to see that promise come true. They may believe God can, but fewer believe that he will. Well, let me backtrack a little bit. Remember what we've talked about so far. Guys, in chapter 2, we discovered that Jesus, the man of joy, I want you to understand that he was a man of joy. Why? That's why they invited him to a wedding. The man of joy, they invited him to a wedding, and he goes to a wedding in Cana. And you go, Cana, what's the significance of Cana? The significance of Cana is actually its insignificance. And I love that our Jesus says this. He's got, uh, uh, just as God regularly chose unlikely candidates to do his work, he also chooses unlikely places to reveal his glory. Now, here's what I love about that. I love that the fact that a guy, that our God can look down and use every single one of us, and there, there doesn't have to be anything significant about us. And our God doesn't play favorites, and he doesn't go, listen, I can't use you unless you get, unless you have a seminary degree. I can't use you unless you've been in the mission field for 30 years, and I can't use you. Well, you I can't even use, and well, you, I don't even know why you're here. He doesn't do any of that. We're so insignificant. He's like, come on, come on, come on. And that's really the purpose of Cana. He wants to show us. Now, he's at a wedding, he's having a good time, he leaves them with just an incredible amount of joy, right? 150 gallons of the best wine you could ever have. And then he leaves the wedding, right, him and his disciples, and they make their way to what we call the Passover feast. Do you remember that? The feast of Passover. And as he comes through the eastern gate, probably over the Kidron Valley, over the bridge, he comes in and, and he finds something so disturbing. He walks in, he's with his guys, right? And he walks in and he sees something that's so, it's just so disturbing, Right? He sees the temple, the house of God being desecrated. You go, what did he see? He walks in and, and, and probably sees all over the place money changers. Money changers all over and he's looking around and then he sees people who sold oxen. He sees people who are selling sheep and over there he sees people who are selling these doves and, and he's just going, are you kidding? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not what I'm supposed to walk into on the outer courts. And so Jesus does something that you and I never think he would do. Why? Because a lot of people portray Jesus meek and mild, and he would never do anything. Jesus takes a whip, and he drives those animals out. Can you imagine? And then he turns over the table and change flying everywhere. And what I love about Jesus is that he goes to the people who are selling doves, and he tells them. He doesn't let the doves go free. He says, don't do this. Why is that significant, church? Why? 
Because Jesus still knew that there were poor people who needed to sacrifice unto the Lord to connect with God, and they needed the doves in order to do that. All in the midst of his zealousness for his house, he still had his eyes on you and me, knowing who man really is. You go, Pastor, why did, why did God, you know, why did Jesus come in and, and, and just, I mean, just lose it? Why, why would he do that? Well, here's what I want you to remember, church. God wanted so desperately to reach the heart of his people. He always wants to connect with us. And that needs to be our attitude when we come to church, that, that God wants to speak to our hearts. That should be the very first thing we get up in the morning. And, okay, God, what do you want to say to me? And so here's how it sort of works in our church. We come in, and, and, and what do we do? All of a sudden, the, the music is going, and we sing the songs, and God starts to open our heart just a little bit. And then the message comes in, and you're able to receive, and you walk home and go, man, I, I heard from God. I, I heard from God. And that's what God wanted to do in the temple. But God saw what? He saw all of their sin amplified through what? Their covetousness, money changers, cheating, stealing all over the place. And, and God's like, I can't get near that, man. I can't get near that. So instead of just abandoning his people, he goes, no, 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 no. This is what I'm going to do. The mission was clear. God went into enemy territory. How? By sending Christ to Jerusalem's temple to take out that big infectious growth. God's like, no, listen, I can't get near them. I'm going to get near them. Jesus, go in there and, and, and let's clean this thing up. Let's clean this thing up. And you and I, if you were here last week, we applied the message by remembering that sin separates us from our God. And when we don't allow him to cleanse our hearts, our temple, then we lose out on the fellowship with the Father. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm following. Have you ever felt in your life that you were farther from God than you were at times? Oh, Lord, I just, man, I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm just not hearing you like I used to. I remember... I remember getting up and getting in the Word, and, and I remember, and oh my goodness, and you would speak to me, and I would see, and the Scripture would jump off the page, and then, I mean, I could worship for hours, and I'd just be singing, and I was like, oh, i got to get to work, oh, I'm late. And then now, Lord, I sort of feel like I read your Word, and it's just kind of, you know, these, these black letters on a white page, and I kind of go through the motions, and I don't know, Lord. And if that ever happens to you guys, there are times when we need to check our hearts. What's, what's going on in our heart? Have I not allowed you to cleanse some stuff that's going in? Uh, have I set up, if you will, some money changers in my temple, in my heart? Have I set up some stuff that you're, you're, you're desperately want? I mean, you want to cleanse. And so we have to ask ourselves those questions. Now, here's what happens. Jesus will come in. And he'll gently knock on our hearts at times, won't he? Hey, hey, Ben. Yes, Lord. Hey, uh, listen, listen. There's some, there's, there's some money changers right there. What, do, what are we going to do with this, Lord? Money changers. Lord, what are you talking about money? I don't have any money. Cha- Lord, ben, 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 Ben. Yes, Lord, you're right. You're right. I, oh, goodness gracious. There's some money changers. Ben, Ben. Those money changers are, are keeping me from from connecting and fellowshipping with you. What do you want to do? Well, Lord, let's get rid of them. And there are times when, are we honest? 
There are times in our lives when the Lord knocks on our sides. Hey, Ben, there's some money changers. I'm like, no, they're in. Hey, Ben, there's some oxen over there. What are you doing? No, there's not, Lord. I'm cool. Jesus gets a whip, and he says, we need to drive those out. And he comes in radically, and he takes those things because he loves me so much. And if you're honest, there are times you cry out to God, God, why are you doing this? What's going on in my life? I don't understand. Why? And we ask God why, and he's going, because, because I want to connect. And you, you didn't want to take care of the issue early on. And if we allow sin to stay rooted in our hearts, it will eventually grow and try to kill you. That's what James says, right? So his purpose, guys, guys, his purpose in chapter 2 is so that we can draw closer to the God who created us. So that we can have his perfect peace in our lives. Listen, this hurts. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, hey, come on, it's all fun. It, it hurts. But when it's done, it's done with love. It's done with love. And we must not make his temple, our lives, our walks, a house of merchandise. Jesus knows that to have an encounter with the Father, we must allow him to cleanse the temple and go deep in our hearts to clean out the junk. We called it last week, what? It's time for a change. And then now that brings us to chapter 3. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We're going to see that in a man named Nicodemus. If you're there, John chapter 3, picking it up in verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now we don't know a whole lot about Nick, but here's what we do know. We know that he was a Pharisee, so we know he was a religious man. A Pharisee means a separated one. So he went among the common folk. He was very religious. He was separated. We know that. What else do we know about him? Well, because he was a Pharisee, we do know that he had a level of, uh, of belief, right? He had to have. A Pharisee had to know, they, they had to memorize all of the Pentateuch, the first five books. They had to have a level of belief. So we know that. He's a Pharisee. He's not walking around going, I don't know who God is. I don't even know why I'm here. He's going, no, I, I have a level of belief. That's what we know. We know that he was part of the great Sanhedrin. We also know that his name means victorious among his people. So here you have this, this religious guy, this part of the great Sanhedrin, the great Jewish council. We know his name means victorious among his people. Probably, guys, he was wealthy. Most of the Pharisees were. So here's this guy coming to Jesus. He's a Pharisee. He's a level of belief. He's probably got a lot of money. And we know he's victorious among the people. Now, here's what I want you to see. We're not that far away from Nicodemus. He's a lot like us, or we're a lot like him. You know, what do you mean, Pastor? I don't have a lot of money. Let me just shoot this out here, and then we'll move on. By world standards, if you've eaten today... You've eaten yesterday, you are rich by world standards. If you had three meals a day, you are extremely rich in world standards. But nonetheless, keep this in mind, Nicodemus is a lot like us. He believed that God, he believed in God, right? He was a Pharisee, but I think he had doubts about who Jesus really was. I think he had doubts. His belief, we'll find, will, will consist of curiosity or circumstance, 
Here's a man who is not saved yet. Everybody get that? He's not saved yet. He believes in God, God the Father. He's Jewish. And he's saying at this point, Lord, I believe. But now he's going to have an encounter with Jesus where he's going to say, that needs to help my unbelief. How do you know? Verse 2. Check it out, guys. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Church, your attention, please. What's the first thing we see in verse 2? This very important religious rich man comes to Jesus by night. By night. That's the first thing that pops out of the base. By night. Now, let me give you three schools of thought, three schools that, that might point to why Nick came at night. The first one is perhaps Nicodemus came at night because he was timid or shy. He was religious, he had a lot of money, but there are those who are shy and they don't like a whole lot of crowds and so they'll come to him and he was shy. That might be one school of thought. I know you're looking at me like, Ben, I don't think that was it. Well, let me give you the second school of thought. The second school of thought, perhaps he wanted an uninterrupted interview with Jesus. He wanted to be alone. He said, "If listen, during the day, there's crowds all around him. He's got his posse. He's got his disciples. Everybody's hanging around. If I go talk to him, he's, uh, no, I, if I go to him at night, then I'll have his undivided attention. That might be a reason, right? That's a good school of thought. Another school of thought, perhaps, and the one I lean to is, is perhaps Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he didn't want his peers, other Pharisees, to know about his inquiry who, to who Jesus was. He says, I'm going to come by stealth, and I'm going to go to him, and this way, if he doesn't really jive with the Old Testament scriptures, and I can just kind of go, Psha, and I'll go back to my religious duties, and I'll, I'll hang out with my Pharisee you know, homeboys, and I'll be like, nah, don't worry about that, Jesus, he's straight, but I'm going to find out who he is, and so he comes to him at night, because I don't want my guys to, well, I don't want him to give me a hassle about it. I think maybe Nicodemus was a little skeptical, don't you? And I, and, and I like that uh, many people today are skeptics when it comes to belief in Jesus. Many people in our, well, right, they, they'll, they'll say, I believe in God. I'm a, I'm a Christian, but they don't know what that means. They don't understand that it's that belief in Jesus, and they're skeptical of who Jesus is. But I also know that they're inquisitive. You go, how so? Do you realize that in our day and age that we've never been more spiritual than we are today? You go, mean Christianity? You mean church? No, no, no. People are just inquisitive about spiritual things. Like, what's going to happen? Listen, there's a solar eclipse coming. Does that mean anything spiritual? But they're, they don't want to talk about Jesus. They don't know who he is, but they're inquisitive. They want to know what, what gives, what gives. And yet, probably, yet as not to be hurt or embarrassed, they inquire in a secretive state as well. You see, they have a level of belief, but not a faith and trust in who God is. And you go, what do you mean? Well, think about this, guys. Think about people at your work. Think about people who you interact with every day. They may not come up to you and say, tell me about Jesus. How do you get saved? But they're looking at your life because you claim to be a Christian, and they're looking to see if your relationship with Jesus is real. Is he real? Is he real in your life? And see, that's been the biggest stumbling block in the church today is that many people who claim Christianity don't live like Jesus exists. 
And that's our problem. And they look at your life and they go, wait, you, you said you go to church, you said you're a Christian, but you're out here doing all the same things. And is Jesus real or not? Does Jesus have all the answers? Is, can he heal my broken heart? I'm not sure. And so they're inquisitive, but that's exactly what people are. They're skeptics. But they do have a heart that, that, want, that wants to know. I know that Nicodemus comes to him. Notice what he says. He comes to him at night and he says, Rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. And he says, we know that you're a teacher come from God. I like uh, one of the commentators wrote this. He said, it's difficult to know if Nicodemus spoke of himself. I want to know who you are. Did he speak on behalf of the Sanhedrin? Like like earlier, did they gather again? Okay, we're going to draw straws. Who's going to go see Jesus? Okay, it's you, Nicodemus. and, And go find out who he is. We don't know. We don't know if it was just popular opinion. That's kind of who he heard. It's like, hey, I hear the buzz about Jesus. What's going on? I need to find out. We don't know that, guys. But we do know that Jesus, that Nick comes to Jesus and calls him rabbi. And, and notice what he says, guys, and this is important. He says, we know, we know what? What does he know? That you come from God, that you are from God. How do we know this? Because he says, the signs that you do, no one can do them unless they are from God. You guys see that? What's he saying? He's going, listen, Jesus, I, we know you're from God, right? How do you know? Man, the signs. You've done signs. Listen, I don't know if you know this, but over in Cana, you're all the buzz, dude. You turned water into, I mean, it's a miracle, and you've done some other things that were not written in this book, right? We know that. And so Nicodemus comes and says, tell me, tell me who you are. Tell me who you are. Now, here's what I want you to know, guys. Nicodemus probably is very sincere. He wants to find out. But I want to point out to you that the statement not is, is not entirely true. You go, what do you mean? You know that statement that says, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with them? That's not entirely true. And you go, why? Well, if you have a pencil handy, jot this down. It's Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, and he says this concerning the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Over in Revelation, speaking of the same, he says he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth with the great sight of men. Then he deceives those who dwell on the earth, but the signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth, make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived and lived. Not everybody who does great signs comes from God. You go, Pastor, what's the point in our lives? Listen, church, listen. If somebody came to Lubbock, Texas and was performing great signs, I can call fire down from heaven, but he was contrary to the word of God, who should we believe? The word of God. But Pastor, the dude put his point. I mean, I saw I saw lightning. I This has to be from God. No, no. We stick to the Word of God. The Word of God is our foundation. Now, I would say that at this point, guys, in our Bible study, Nick, Nicodemus is probably just telling the Lord Jesus, I believe, I I believe there's a God. 
And you go, what do you mean? Well, think about this. His belief could simply be curiosity, right? Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. I'm curious. I mean, because I've seen some signs and I've heard some things and you're all the buzz. So that's curiosity. His belief could also come from circumstances. He may have seen a sign. We don't know. We don't know if Nick was at the wedding. We don't know if Nick saw the water turn to wine. And so he's like, that was, that was circumstance. I said, Lord, I believe. I saw, some, I saw something I had never seen before. I had never seen before. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus, well, he sets the record straight. Look at verse 3. And Jesus answered Nicodemus, and he said to them, Most assuredly, I'm saying to you, Nick, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nick, let's set the record straight. Let's get to the root of the issue, bud. See, Jesus replied to Nicodemus shattered the Jewish assumption that their racial identity, their old birth, being born a Jew, assured them a place in God's kingdom. Doesn't that blow holes in his whole in the whole theory? You go, what do you mean? Jesus made it plain that Man's first birth does not assure him a place in the kingdom. The only way you get into the kingdom is to be born again. You know why this would blow holes in Nicodemus? Because it was widely taught among the Jews at that time that if they descended from Abraham, they were automatically assured of heaven. In fact, some rabbis would teach that Father Abraham sat at the gate of hell and made sure no Jews went into hell. That's what's being taught. So, Jewish man, Pharisee, rich man, Sanhedrin dude comes to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know there's a God. Who are you? Help me. All the while thinking that he's in, Jesus goes, no, 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 let me let, me, let, me let you on a little secret, bro. Um, Nick, yes, sir, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. You mean just being Jewish doesn't cut it? Church, help me. Just being Jewish cut it? No. no. So if being Jewish doesn't get you into heaven, then, then how do we feel like we can get into heaven simply being an American? Or anything else. Our heritage, our ancestry, anything that doesn't mean anything. We must be born again. You go, what does born again really mean? Well, church, if you're taking note, the ancient Greek word translated again is anothen, and it can be translated from above. This is the sense in which John used the word in, in verse 31 of chapter 3 and verse 11 of chapter 19 and chapter 20, 19, verse 23. Either way, the meaning is essentially the same. He's saying you must be born from above. I hear some great application for us, church. If you want a true encounter with Jesus, guys, you guys need to be born from above. What does that mean? Well, church, there have been many people that have walked this aisle, cried and prayed, and have not been born from above. Why? Because words alone aren't sufficient to save. You can pray words all, you can say words all day long. You can come to this altar and go, Mary had a little lamb, and that doesn't mean anything, does it? Because it's a work of the Spirit. We have to be born from above. Now, I'm probably thinking at this point, Nicodemus only heard born, right? I'm thinking he only heard the word born. Why? Because he asked the question. 
Jesus goes, hey, listen, man, you need to be born from above. You need to be born from above. You need to be born from above. And he's going, born? Well, so Nicodemus turns to him, right? Notice his response. Verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And, of course, we've, we've, we've read this over and over. If you grew up in church, you've read this over and over and over and over. It's like, Jesus, how can I go back into mom? How can I? I mean, you're going, dude, that's silly. You already, man, we're not, we don't go back and be born. So he really wants to know. But I like what one pastor wrote on this verse, and I'll quote it for you. He says, Nicodemus' reply may not have been out of ignorance, but from thinking that Jesus meant a moral reformation. His question may be more like, how can you teach an old dog new tricks? How can this be? One way or another, Nicodemus clearly did not understand Jesus or the truth about the new birth. So what's he saying? He's saying, Lord, I believe in God. Help me to understand. Help my unbelief. And Jesus goes, let me help your unbelief. You ready? And now he's going to explain what he means. And that's what I love about God more than anything. He gives us, he gives us, and we're sitting here going, you know, I don't understand. And then he goes and he tells us and he gives us the explanation. Here's the explanation, guys. Verse Five. Jesus answered. Now, remember, I still think he's a man of joy. So a lot of times we think of him like this. What do you mean? You must be born again. Oh, can't you get it through your head? Oh, how many times over? He's just smiling. He said, most assuredly, verily, verily. Nick, I'm going to tell you this, bro. Unless one is born of water and spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. Now, we need, to, we need to be very careful. We need to understand, okay? The Jewish idiom, kingdom of God, actually means to participate in the kingdom of God. But if you're real careful, it also translates heaven, the kingdom of God. So it's, it's this double meaning where it goes, okay, hey, Nick, you need to be born again so you can participate on what's going on down here in God's kingdom. Can I get an amen? But it also means you need to be born again so that the Holy Spirit now comes in you and can lead your spirit into heaven. Without God's spirit inside you, how do you get to heaven? Because your spirit doesn't know the way. And that's, when, that's from come, being born from above. The Holy Spirit comes inside you. He lives in you. And when you take your final breath on earth here, that Holy Spirit then guides you to the place where you're going to spend eternity in heaven. But God's masterful plan is so amazing, church, that what he does, he says, listen, Paul summed it up like this. You ready? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, that's just, that's an incredible statement. You go, why? Here's what he's saying. Listen, I want to participate in the kingdom of God while I'm here through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I die, I get to go to be in heaven. For me to live, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to breathe Christ. I'm going to blink Christ. I'm going to speak about Jesus. Dude, that's like you're like radical. We should be radical for God. There is no one else to be radical for. We should be out of control bananas for Jesus. And you can put that on your Facebook. We should be out of control bananas for Jesus. Why? There is no one other worthy to do that. Guys, why are we so, why are we so conservative and just very proper? And We need to be just like, oh, Lord, man. When the world squeezes me in its trials and tribulations, you know what I want to come out? Jesus. Amen. Jesus. How many of you have been stressed out this week? I have. What should come out? Jesus. 
Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, everybody got that? He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. He says, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So everyone who is born of the spirit. Church, listen, how many of you have ever seen the wind? How many of you have ever, you go, Ben, I've never, we've, you go, I've seen the wind when the trees blow. No, you've seen the what? You've seen the effects of the wind, but you've never seen the wind. It's the same way when someone gets born again. You can't go, uh, what happened? You go, I don't know. I just know I, I just know I needed Jesus and I gave my life to him and I prayed a sincere prayer with all of my heart and now I'm changed. You don't want to do drugs no more? I want to do drugs no more. No. You want to drink? I want to drink. I'm different. I'm changed. You don't want to go fight? You don't want to go beat up people? I don't want to beat up people. I love Jesus. How does that happen? I don't know. Did anything, I mean, that's the point, guys, for us. We see the effects of the wind, but we never see the wind. And here's what happens. In some of your lives, you're born again, and you're just like, woohoo, and it's just exciting you. And other people sit there, and they're born again, and it's just, it's this inner experience, and they show no emotion at all. They're just going, how you doing? Born again. You see, it's different for every one of us. And Jesus tells this, tells us right here, if you're taking note, this is how I can help your unbelief. How's that? Make sure you're born again. Make sure you're born again. You see, Jesus was emphatic in saying that man does not need reformation, but he needs a radical conversion by the Spirit of God. Let me say that again, church. We don't need reformation. We need a radical conversion by the Spirit of God. And he says, we must be born of water and of spirit. You go, how are we born of water? Most commentators believe, some of them believe that was, that was the natural birth. Others believe it was baptism. I mean, there's so many, there's so many beliefs on what it means. But we do know that it is water, and we know that we were born from water. We do know that we were born from in spirit, and that's how we must encounter the living God. Church, let's talk about heaven for just a moment. Just let's talk about heaven for just a moment, okay? Would you agree with me that a lot of people automatically think that they're going there? They just automatically just like, hey, you know what? I'm alive. I was born in the United States. I was born in Texas, whatever the case may be. I think that I'm going to heaven. And yet here's what Jesus said to you and I. Only those who are born of the Spirit get to go to heaven. And I want to illustrate it like this. Let's say, church, let's say a nation passed a law that said no one could live there except those who were born in that nation. And someone wanted to live there who was not born. Let's just say that Israel said, okay, if you were not born in Israel, you cannot live here. And I go, I want to live in Israel. That's where I want to live. I know what I'll do. I'll, um, hmm, what can I do? Sorry, son, you, you cannot live here. But listen, it wouldn't be a matter if I took that was common to the nation, right? Took the name that was common. I'm going to be an Israeli. It wouldn't matter if I even learned and spoke the language. It would not matter if I observed all the customs, if I dressed like those who were in that nation. It wouldn't matter if I practiced some of the religious traditions of that nation, it wouldn't matter if my, even if my parents were born in that nation. 
And it wouldn't matter if his children are born in that nation. It wouldn't matter if I had many friends in that nation. You know all that would matter? Is that I had to be what? I had to be born in that nation if I was going to be part of Israel. And that's why Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he has compassion in his eyes and a smile in his heart. And he says, Nicodemus, don't be so surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above. It's a, it's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit. Now we know that at this point, guys, something has changed in Nick's life. God has encountered that unbelief. He's encountered that unbelief. And here's what I love about these verses, man. He's, we're having this dialogue with Jesus, and it's the same dialogue that we have. You see, there's a lot of people that are here today and a lot of people that will listen by podcast, and someday they'll listen on the radio, and they'll be the same inquiries. They'll, they'll have something and go, listen, I don't know if I really believe in Jesus. I want to know more about Jesus. And Jesus is hanging out, and he's looking at him, and he's smiling. He says, listen, you want to you wanna get to know me? Let's, let's, the first step is be born. Be born again. Be born from above. And we have that same question. Listen, how can I be born again? God, I'm, I'm da-da-da many years old, and I've lived a full life. I mean, I can't be, I can't go back. It's not moral reformation. It's not, no, Jesus says, no, no, no. Listen, it's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit. And then all of a sudden you feel that spirit in your heart and you go, yeah, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Let's close with this. Let's close with some application, guys. Some application that we can take home. Church, if you came here today and you had some doubts or maybe, maybe you're in a season of unbelief, man, I've got some good, good news for you. Listen to this quote that I found. It said, I spent a long time trying to come to grips with my doubts when suddenly I realized I'd better come to grips with what I believe. I've since moved from the agony of questions that I cannot answer to the reality of answers I cannot escape. And that's a great relief, end quote. For the remainder of our time, guys, I want to give you, I want to give you three steps to, to defeat doubt. We know, number one, guys, we know, we know uh, the overwhelming answer that Jesus gave is that we have to be born from above. Everybody goes, amen, I get that. But, but Ben, I'm born again, and I still have seasons of doubts. How can I overcome this? Well, if you have a pencil handy, let me give you number one, guys. Make up your mind to believe. That's number one. Make up your mind to believe. If you want a scripture, scripture reference, it's James chapter 1, 5 through 8. You see, the good news is that we can make up our minds that we're going to trust him to stand firm and remain steadfast in our faith. Even those times where, where the waves of life come crashing down on you, you can make up your mind to believe. You can make up your mind, I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust you, God. The second thing to defeat doubt, guys, is learn from those who have a strong faith. Learn from those who have a strong faith. The first man that comes to mind is Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham, Abraham what? 
he believed and it was accounted to him righteousness. You go, well, Ben, I can't hang out with Abraham. No, but you can hang out with Christians here who have just a little bit, a little bit stronger faith in you and you can learn from them. You know, there are times, guys, where we need, to, we need to have accountability in the body of Christ and not even accountability, but we need to have friendships. You go, what does that mean? Well, for example, let's just say that I'm struggling and I've got, and, and doubt has come to visit me at my house. And I can call my brother Soph, and I can say, Soph, here's what's going on in my life. How did you handle it? And because he might be a little stronger in that area, he can, he can walk me, and I can learn from that. I've made up my mind to believe, but now I've got, now I've got some, some what? Well, I want to learn from those who have a strong faith. What did you do in this time? Well, Ben, here's what I did, and I'm praying for you, and I'm going to walk with you. Church, we think that, in general, we think that um, when somebody gets born again, that they're automatically strong in the Lord, and that they can walk, and they can leap, and they can jump, and, and, and they're just babies. And when you're born again, you're just a baby until you begin to grow in him. And it's so important that those of us who have a little bit strong, we're not saying we're there, but a little bit stronger faith can look at the babies and say, let me help you get up and walk. Let me encourage you. That's so important. This is a key to defeating doubt and unbelief, guys. We need to face the circumstances, but not focus on them. When doubt is coming against us, we need to praise God and remember who he is and other victories he has given us in our lives. What did, what did I just say? Guys, go ahead and face your circumstances, but don't focus on them. Don't live there. Can I be honest? I even struggled with that this week myself. And I probably had that same prayer. God, I believe, I don't know. I don't know if you'll do it. Now I'm learning that I need to face the circumstances but not focus on them. Last but not least, guys, number three, make it personal and practical. You want to defeat doubt? Make it personal and practical. What does that mean? Meditate on the Word of God during these times. If you struggle with, with doubt, find all the scriptures that deal with doubt and, and meditate on them. Meditate on the word of God. Church, listen, we live in such an instant world that we go, oh, I want this done and I want it fixed and I want it fixed five minutes ago and, and that's not the world of God. We live in an instant world where we can, we can have things at our fingertips at a moment's notice, but here we, we need to meditate on the word of God, memorize the word of God. And when doubt and unbelief come, Think about Nicodemus for just a second. If he was a skeptic and he had some doubts and he, he had some unbelief about who Jesus was, where did he go? He went straight to the source, didn't he? And he got his answers. Guys, this is all about our Savior and our Lord. And if you have doubt and you're in a season of unbelief and you're struggling in your walks, go to the source. Oh, church, listen, listen, I'm not going to prolong this, but I know that for me, I want to hear, I want to see this giant 
writing on the sky and tell me what I'm supposed to do and tell me how this is all going to work out. And the Lord's like, you need to look in my word. I've got everything in my word there. But no, Lord, I don't want to look in your word. I don't want to meditate on your word. Just tell me yes or no. And the Lord's like, oh, give me a sign. Anybody ever do that? Give me a sign. Lord, give me a sign. If my cat does a backflip out of, out, out of the blue, that means that this is all going to work out. Now go to his word, guys. Go to his word. Go to his word. Number two. If you're here today and you've never been born again, I have good news for you too. Today you can put your faith and trust in Jesus. Today you can believe more than you ever have. For Nicodemus, he was saved. He had an encounter with Jesus. And you can too. And you can too. Father, we thank you for your word that we have to be born again. We thank you, God, for Nick. Love Nick, man. I'm Nick. And you told me, don't marvel, Ben. It's all in my word. And so, Lord, I pray that every one of us in this room is born again, born from above by the power of your Holy Spirit. That's our prayer. We love you, Jesus. We love you more than you know. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.